Well, Cheryl and I are honored to be back here in a church that we've come to love very much and appreciate, and particularly the pastor and his wife and youth pastor and his wife. What a wonderful, wonderful blessing it is for to know these people and, and for them, for us to know that they're shepherding this wonderful church. So thank you for having us back again. Well, I bought a pickup. Um, I wish I had sooner. Um, I've always wanted to have one. And we bought a trailer, which then meant we needed a, you know, things just start snowballing. You need a truck to pull it. And uh, I decided my car wasn't big enough, strong enough, my SUV. So we bought a used pickup. And uh, I was able to find a 2002 Dodge Ram diesel. And I mean, it just growls when you start it. You know, it's, it's just, it is so macho. You know, I mean, um, you, you just, when, when you get in it, you just feel like more of a man. Okay. Um, and I, I notice that it's mainly men who drive pickups, so probably there's some connection. Well, we were going uh, to Atlanta for the 4th of July just a few weeks ago. We were going to see our children. We have four children living in that area now. And our grandchildren, many of whom live there as well in the area. And we were going to pick up the trailer we had left there after spending some of the winter in Florida ministering. We had left it at a relative's home and flown home from there. Uh, so we were going back to retrieve our trailer. Well, I like to plan. Men, do you like to pack? I mean, some of us just, I, I like to organize for a trip. I like to use every square inch of the trunk. You know, I, I, I just, it's, it's just a work of art when you're done, okay? I'm one of those people. So I had been packing the back of our pickup. It's a long bed. The whole thing's 21 feet, I think, from one end to the other with this eight-foot long bed in it. And I, I had packed our suitcases. I had planned the trip. Uh, I had put everything in order the night before, and I even got up at 5 a.m. on this Friday to see a couple in our marriage ministry at 7 a.m. That's much earlier than we usually meet with folks, and at 10 or 11, we were going to be able to pull out. So I get up. It's a beautiful, sunshiny morning. My pickup is in the driveway. I get in. I crank it at just a moment. You have to wait for the glow plugs to to let you know you could start it. I cranked that puppy. I'm feeling it, okay? I'm really ready for the day. And um, I head out the, the driveway in the early morning. It was 6 a.m. Traffic was still fairly busy where we live in the northern suburbs of Chicago. And I'm, oh, maybe three, four miles from home when I notice every time I pull up to a red light, people next to me are making gestures at me. Now, that's not unusual in Chicago traffic, okay? I mean, that goes on all the time. People make gestures in the rearview mirror. So I'm just thinking, well, this is, these people are just jealous. You know, I mean, they, they see this uh, 2002 pickup, wish they had one like that. And um, I'm, I'm sitting there at the light, and finally a guy motions to me to roll down the window. So I roll down the window. And he says to me, your tailgate, your tailgate is down. He's shouting over everything. And I, I look back in the mirror, and there is my luggage that has fallen out the back that is strewn behind me. Um, 
and it really, as far as I could see, I just made a left-hand turn, and I thought, oh, no. So I, um, I turn around, I get off the uh, main beat, start heading back, and sure enough, in the median, there's our laundry basket, and then a little bit further, there's our black suitcase, and um, some of the ri drivers had been polite enough to drive around my luggage, others not so polite. So um, I have luggage that's all sizes and shapes, some compressed, um, makes it, I guess, takes up less space. And I'm wondering, how, how long has this been going on? So now I'm looking at my watch. I'm supposed to meet the couple, you know, at the office, and I was going to be there on time. But I have to turn around and start retracing my steps, which I was able to do because you could always follow the luggage. You know, I could see where I had been. Um, I, I told Cheryl that day that our, our, our wardrobe had made a real impact on Chicago. Um, what we were planning to wear and what we brought with us uh, was on display everywhere. Um, well, I started retrieving suitcases here, people honking, because this is four-lane traffic. This is not just a side street that I'm having to retrieve this. And I thought, I wonder how far this, I had to turn around and go all the way back home. And discovered that almost, in, including my video uh, equipment for uh, Zooming and whatever, uh, that had been in a suitcase, that was out on the road. Um, I, I, I was able to retrieve everything. Uh, I found just the first corner from home, it apparently had flown open then, um, a battery that I was going to take for our trailer had fallen out and broken and the battery acid was all over the road uh, right in our neighborhood. Um, our daughter's sewing machine. Yeah. Um, I have not explained to her why it looks the way it does. I just gave it back to her. Um, but I had to retrieve the sewing machine and everything. Well... The whole time I'm retrieving things, you know, and it's rush hour. I mean, it's a lot of traffic, and uh, I'm just, oh, Lord, please help me. <laughs> oh, Lord, please, please. Uh, that's the only prayer I could think of was please as I, as I worked my way back. But, you know, when I finally got home and put together all of the luggage uh, that I had retrieved to see what I, what I had left, I realized there was a blessing in all this. For one thing, next time I travel, I'll be able to identify my suitcases when they come down the conveyor belt. There won't be any guess as to which ones are mine. They'll be shaped quite differently than the others. Um, do you know when it was all over, I had been able to retrieve everything. Nothing had been lost on the highway. And when I opened the one suitcase with my uh, camera video and all that, it was all intact. That had not been run over. And so uh, when it was all said and done, I was late for my appointment by just half an hour or so. But we were able to leave. You know, God met me on the road that day. Uh, God met me on the road in an unexpected way, and I'm not sure all the reasons why. But I encountered the Lord on the road that day, and actually in a wonderful way, how he ended up taking care of us. And as I thought about the scriptures... God has a way or a habit of meeting people on the road, including this morning's story in um, Acts 26, where he, uh, Paul is retelling his testimony of how he was on the way to Damascus to persecute the church, 
when suddenly the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ appears to him. Let's read Acts 26, beginning with verse 9. He again is defending himself in court before Festus, who is the governor, regional governor, um, others uh, who, who have come to listen to him. He's been in custody for quite a while now because the Jews were plotting to kill him. And when he, uh, when he heard that, uh, he they told the Romans, the Romans moved him to Caesarea to get away from this plot, but they left him in prison for almost two years. Anyway, here's his defense. I, too, was convinced that I ought to do all that was possible to oppose the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And that is just what I did in Jerusalem on the authority, and I want you to underline that word, that's an important part of this morning's message, on the authority, under the authority of the chief priests, I put many of the saints in prison. And when they were put to death, several of them were martyred for their faith. Um, in their case, I cast uh, my vote against them. Paul had actually condemned innocent uh, men and women who were followers of Christ to an untimely death. Many a time I went from one synagogue to another to have them punished, and I tried to force them to blaspheme. In other words, they try, he tried to get them to blaspheme the name of Jesus, to denigrate, to curse, to renounce the name of Jesus. In my obsession, you can see where this... Uh, this, this conviction has actually turned into something uh, that is scary. He's, he's become obsessed with this. In my obsession against them, I even went to foreign cities to persecute them. Well, let's just stop there for a moment and pray. Father, as we consider this passage, may we consider, may you speak to what it means to our lives. May you take what Paul had to say and show that it, it applies to us. And Lord Jesus, we pray today that you would be glorified and that you would have your rightful place of lordship in our lives. In Christ's name we pray, amen. The first principle this morning from this story of Paul's testimony is this. Before we know Jesus, before we meet him, before we confess him as Lord, we are living, all of us, under a different authority. There really is only two choices in this world to live under the authority of someone, the world, the flesh, the devil, or to live under the authority of Christ. The whole world can be divided into these two groups. Which authority are you living in? And if we're not living under the authority of Jesus Christ in our lives, um, actually living under our own authority can seem like the right thing to do. How many people go through life hearing the gospel, having it presented clearly, 
maybe even experiencing a degree of conviction and then pushing back, saying, no, I'm not, I'm not ready for that. When people say, I'm not ready for that, what are they really saying? They're basically saying, I still want to run my own life. I still want to be in charge. I'm not ready to yield to, to Christ. Uh, I find what you're saying about him interesting, perhaps true. I, I can know the gospel. I can even be in agreement with it. But I can't take that next step. Not yet. And it seems like running our own lives or sometimes letting someone else do that seems Paul was convinced he was doing the right thing. Paul was completely convinced that trying to, trying to suppress the church, trying to to uh, throw believers in prison, trying to stamp out the name of Jesus, that was exactly the right thing to do. We live in a world where s many people are convinced of that, by the way. We live in a world where many people are convinced that they need to, to snuff out, they, they need to suppress, they need to oppose the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And that progress is actually getting rid of that from our society. And it can honestly seem like the right thing to do. Yet when we live under our own authority, we do, the damage we can do to ourselves and to others can be incalculable. When we can look back under over our lives before we met Jesus as Lord, we may go, what was I thinking when I did this, when I did that, how I treated people, how I acted, the decisions I made, what in the world was I doing? And we begin to see some of the damage living under our own authority. I get to occasionally, well, more than occasionally, as we listen to couples coming for help with their marriage, mo sadly, more, more often than I wish, I will have in front of me an abusive husband who has verbally, emotionally, physically, almost in every way, torn this other person down. Not for just in one occasion or, or one episode, but as a way of life. And sometimes it can be the other way around. There can be an abusive wife who has basically destroyed her husband's sense of personhood. And that marriage cannot be saved until the Holy Spirit shows that man, or if need be that woman, what they have done. Exactly what they have done. Recently I had a couple where he had that revelation, and, and he actually began to cry, and, and he actually began to say, I, I, I don't even know what to say or now. My mind is just sort of uh, just exploding. I forgot the words that he said, but he goes, I, he turned to her, what have I done? What have I done to you? 
you know, I didn't want to stop that. I didn't want to interrupt. Oh, that's, you know, look, it's not so bad. You know, you can be forgiven. All that is true. But I didn't want to spare him the moment of realization, of conviction. You see, that's a gift. That's not a curse. It's not a punishment. When we can see what was done to others because we're living under our own authority, that is a, a gift from God, not a punishment, not a discipline. Because now I can change. Now I can take a different path. Now I can be somebody new. I don't have to live like this. And by the way, there's a good ending to this story. That as a result of what happened, this couple reconciled. And, and, and we just received such a beautiful note about what is happening in their lives. Well... Paul finally realized when Jesus shone the light around him what he had been done. And let me say this again, that if, well, let me back up if I can. The damage we do is, is hard to calculate. The three most important words in life are Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. If nothing changes, we will go from bad to worse until we realize that Jesus is Lord. Now, you may be saying, well, I'm not an abusive person, and I am a believer, so how does this message really relate to me? Well, there are subtle ways in American Christianity, in the, the Christianity of the last 50 years, where we've been using some new vocabulary to describe the Christian life. I think sincerely so, but maybe not accurately so. For example, the word commitment. Are you willing to make a commitment to Christ? Are you committed to your marriage? Are you know what uh, what type of uh, uh, commitment can you testify to? Well, Joseph Song, who's from Romania and lived under a great deal of persecution in his life, when he came to America and observed it some years ago. He said, you know something, every time we introduce a new word into our vocabulary as Christians, we usually push an, an old one out. In other words, there's sort of so much room in the bookshelf. We put a new word in our vocabulary, an old word goes out. And he said, in America, what I see you've done is you've put the word commitment now for Christianity. And what's the word that you've shoved out? Surrender. How often do we talk about surrendering our life to Christ? How often do we talk about surrendering our rights, surrendering our future, surrendering our possessions, surrendering our relationships, surrendering everything to the Lordship of Jesus Christ? In the day in which all this was happening, the Romans required, there were, they had all sorts of gods, they had hundreds of gods, but Caesar at that time said he was a god. And they would force Christians on penalty of death to say Caesar is Lord. And if they would not say Caesar is Lord, they would pay the consequences. Well, they would not because Jesus is Lord. And they would surrender their lives to whatever would be the cost to defend the Lordship of Christ. Well, you see, the problem with commitment is I'm in control. If commitment is something I can control. I can control how committed I am. I can uh, decide 
what my commitment means to me and what it doesn't mean to me. In other words, I'm still, if we use the word commitment, I'm still somewhat the captain of the ship. But what happens when you say surrender? When you put your hands up, who's in control then? Not me, not you. It's God. When I finally put my hands up and say I surrender, I heard the testimony of a um, executive with a multinational company based in the Midwest, actually up in Minneapolis where I'm from, was the large world's largest private holding company at one point, Cargill. And the president of Cargill at the time was at a, a prayer breakfast, and he said, the reason I'm wearing a suit with a white handkerchief in my pocket is not to make a fashion statement. I'm not here to impress you with my suit. He said the white handkerchief is to remind me that when I was a young man, I surrendered my life to Jesus Christ as Lord. And this white handkerchief that I keep here is to remind me of the symbol of surrender. I have waved the white flag. And I've said, you're Lord, <laughs> I'm not. He was the president of one of the world's largest corporations privately at that time. But he said, I, I, I don't run my company. I don't run my life. Jesus, my Lord, does. You know, I guess maybe we shouldn't go around with handkerchiefs again, but I kind of like that. To constantly over my heart have a white handkerchief that says, I surrendered. I surrendered to someone much higher, someone much more powerful, wise and loving than me. The three most important words are Jesus is Lord. Well, he goes on to say, on one of these journeys, I was going to Damascus with the authority, there's the word, I'm under the authority and commission of the chief priests. About noon, O king, I was on the road, I saw a light from heaven, brighter than the sun blazing around me and my companions. We all fell to the ground. You know, I was just interested in how bright is the sun. So I googled that question. Here's what I found. The sun's core fuses about 600 million tons of hydrogen into helium every second. In the time in which I just said this, 600 million tons of hydrogen were turned into helium, converting 4 million tons of matter into energy every second as a result. The sun is by far <coughs> the brightest object in the Earth's sky. The sun is 13 billion times brighter than the next brightest star, Sirius. Sirius, like Sirius radio and whatever. The next brightest star in our solar system is Sirius. The, and I'm being serious. Um, the sun is 13 billion times brighter. Now, Paul says the light that shone around me was brighter than the sun. Can you imagine the, the, the glory, the magnitude, the brightness of what he experienced? Do you ever wonder how the whole world someday is going to say Jesus is Lord, as Philippians 2 tells us? What's going to get the convinced communist or the convinced um, person of another world religion or the atheist or the whatever, what's going to get them to say Jesus is Lord? Well, I'm not sure I can say with certainty, but let me take a guess. 
you see the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ 13 billion times brighter than you can imagine. I have a feeling everyone is down on their face. No one's looking. No one can see this and live. We can't even look at our own sun without being blinded or doing retinal damage. Well, that's a day that's coming ahead of us. The glory of the Lord Jesus Christ, if we could see him as he truly is this moment, is overwhelming beyond our ability to uh, describe. Well, some people say, I'm okay, I'll accept him as Savior, but I'm not ready to make him Lord. Well, we do not make Jesus Lord. It's too late for that. He already is. I cannot make him Lord. You cannot make him Lord. He already is Lord. We can only recognize that he already is Lord. Our prayer should be, Lord, let me see you. Let me see your glory before it is too late. See, we shall all see the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ someday. The redeemed will see it in his presence and will worship him. The glory of God will not be too great for us. Right now, the Bible says no man can look upon God or he would die. Right now, the glory of God would be more than we could take, but being redeemed, we'll have eyes that can behold him and his glory. The unredeemed are going to see him in his glory. The unredeemed are also going to behold the same thing. And that's when they'll recognize Jesus is indeed Lord, but at that point it will be too late. Too late to receive his forgiveness, too late to enter into a saving relationship. So we're all going to see it. It's just from which group are we going to be in. And can I urge you this morning, if you're not certain or know you're not in that group of redeemed, who confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, today is the day to be certain because the moment is coming. I don't know when, but it will come. And we will either be able to behold that glory or we will have to cry out and flee from it. Sometimes I wonder if hell isn't a refuge for those who cannot endure the glory of God. And, of course, there is all the suffering and, and punishment that comes with that. Well, until we surrender to his lordship, life will always be harder than it needs to be. I'm talking not that if we become a believer, we'll have fewer problems, fewer things will happen, y your tailgate won't open as often or whatever. I don't know. I'm not promising you that but harder in the sense that you're doing it on your own. And in fact, you're working against God if you're not serving him this day. You're actually in opposition to him. You see, he said to him, Paul, it's so hard for you to be kicking against the goads. Paul, don't you get it? You've been trying in your own religiosity to justify yourself, and it has driven you almost to madness in your obsession. Why don't you surrender to my grace? Why don't you surrender to my forgiveness and let me redeem your soul? Then I asked, well, who are you, Lord? I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, the Lord replied. Now get up and stand on your feet. I have appeared to you. And now he begins to describe 
Paul his mission, his purpose in life. He says, I have appointed you as a servant and as a witness of what you have seen of me and what I will show you. I will rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles. I am sending you to them to open their eyes. Isn't it interesting? He first had to be blinded before his eyes could be opened. He said, I want you to go and open other people's eyes through, through the power of the gospel. Open their eyes, turn them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God. There is a chilling thought, friends, that if we're living apart from the authority and lordship of Jesus Christ, if we do not confess and know him as Lord and Savior, it's not just that we're serving ourselves. We're living under the power of Satan, however subtle, however deceptive that might be. We still are. So these people might receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified, made holy by me. That's what the Lordship of Jesus does. It brings forgiveness and then it transforms us until we become like him ourselves. You see, when we confess Jesus as Lord, we find our purpose in life. Paul found his purpose that day. He thought it was to destroy the church. God said, that's not why you're, you're here. Your purpose is to build my church. Mark Twain once said, the two most important days of our life are this, the day we are born and the day we discover why we were born. The two most important days are when you're born and when you discover why you were born. God has a reason why you were born. Do you know what that is? Have you allowed him to show you that? You're not going to know that unless Jesus is total, absolute Lord in your life. Only the Lord Jesus can reveal his true identity. He said, I am Jesus to that man. Amazing story. I was reading a, a great website you might like going to on YouTube. It's called One for Israel. One for Israel. And it's just one Jewish person's testimony after another. They just sit in front of a camera in a big gray chair and tell how they discovered Jesus as their Messiah. And I tell you, if you want to be blessed, if you want to be overwhelmed with what God is doing in the world, if you want to know that Jesus still appears, well, watch these videos. There's too many of them to be really doubt what they have to say. One man who's a college graduate school professor in New York City had been a skeptic raised uh, in a home where he rejected Jesus as the Messiah. Tells his story about in college how he's trying to find who he is and what his purpose in life is. And he's working for a caterer. And one night he is catering a dinner at a synagogue. Women inside at this dinner are praying and He's just looking at the nighttime sky. I think it was in Boston, in this parking lot downtown or whatever. And, you know, he's wondering, why am I here? You have to re listen to his story. He said, at the end of the parking lot, a light appeared, a hugely bright light. And then a man appeared in this light with a cross behind him. He wasn't on the cross, but a cross appeared before him. And he walked up, and he was literally overcome by this, what he was seeing. And he said in his heart, 
Jesus. It's Jesus. The light went away. He was left shaken. He didn't know what to do with this. He wasn't hallucinating. He wasn't on drugs. He went out and partied for the next two weeks to try and run from what he had witnessed. One morning, when he was kind of hungover, he was still at home, and his mother said to him, I think his name was Alan, what are you running from, Alan? Something's wrong with you. What are you running from? And he realized at that moment he was running from Jesus, the Messiah. He surrendered his life to the Lord Jesus. He married another believer, another woman. They have three sons that are grown that are all believers. He teaches at a graduate level. This man's no nut. God revealed. Jesus showed him who he is. And only the Lord Jesus can tell us the reason for our lives while we're here. And only the Lord can change the lives of others through us. He said, Paul, I'm, I'm going to use you as a life changer. It won't be you, Paul, that it was in the past under your own authority, but under my authority, hang on, buckle up. I have a life waiting for you. And my goodness, the New Testament tells us what a life it was, how God changed people. Do you know if you'll yield to the Lordship of Christ, others will be changed by your life. I can promise you that this morning. Would you like to see other people's lives transformed? Then confess Jesus as Lord. Let him be absolute, complete, total. Your Lord and your ruler and your master. We've done a television program for several years. It's just a small thing that we do on the Total Living Network where we talk about marriage issues from a biblical standpoint, sometimes single issues. And, you know, you look into the camera and you wonder, is anybody listening? Is this making any difference? Like, you know, why am I doing this sometimes? You, you wonder. And then I remember one year our producer said, um, I've got to show you this little video I've made. It was a woman in San Francisco who watched our show there on a cable outlet and her life was such a train wreck, such a mess, that she had decided to kill herself. She decided she was going to go to the Golden Gate Bridge and jump off. Number one suicide destination in the world, Golden Gate Bridge. They even have a net underneath it now for that reason, many portions. She had decided she was going to go in the next day or two to the bridge and end her life. And she happened to come across our program. She was channel surfing like at 2 or 3 in the morning and happened to come across our marriage program. And it wasn't anything that I w had said at the point or any particular lesson. She just said as she watched the program, the presence of God filled her living room. And she was overwhelmed by this sense that God loved her and that God did not want her to kill herself. And so she did not. Instead, she sought out help, and, and she, she, she sought out the God who that night uh, kept her from the worst decision she could have made. 
I can tell you, friends, doing that program, I had no idea halfway across the country in the middle of the night that someone was planning to kill themselves. But God did. And I just praise him that whatever it was, she said it was just the spirit of the program. It wasn't even something said. That God used that to change her. Uh, I, I'm, I hope you're, you, you would be as humbled as I am by that. I, I don't understand how God could use someone by, but, but he will. He'll use you in ways you could never know if you yield to his lordship. The three most important words in life are Jesus is Lord. There is nothing more important to say in the morning or in the evening than Jesus is Lord. Well, a postscript here, and I'll wrap up. At that point, Festus interrupted Paul's defense. You are out of your mind, Paul. He shouted, your great learning is making you insane. You know, if you're on trial and the judge says that to you, you're probably in trouble. Um, you're out of your mind. I consider you insane. And if you follow Jesus Christ as Lord, expect people to think you're crazy. In this world, yes, operating under his authority rather than theirs or someone else, but actually it's the most sane thing in the world that you'll ever do. It's the most sane, not insane. I have a friend named Art who's legally blind. He has been for decades. And Art was retired. I was pastoring the church when I was, well, it happened after I left there, I guess. I was told the story, Art. Art was a godly, godly man. One night at 2 a.m., God woke him up, and he said, he, he, I'll call him Tom. It wasn't his name. Tom is in the hospital. He is going to die. He is not ready to die. At 2 or 3 a.m., Art got up, legally blind, got his stick, got his dog, found his way in the middle of the night to the community hospital. I am told snuck by the nurse's station. I don't know how he did it. He said he snuck by them. I don't think he brought the dog. But he snuck by them. And in the middle of the night, he went into Tom's room, and he crawled so he wouldn't be seen by the nurses. He crawled under his bed. And he started saying, Tom, it's Art. <laughs> Imagine that voice in the middle of the night. I'm under your bed. Um, you're not ready to die. You need to know Jesus Christ. And he began to share the Lord with him. And that night, Gene saw the light, or the, Tom saw the light, and, 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 and confessed Christ as Lord. And, I don't know, two or three days later, he passed from this world. Now, was my friend Art insane? Is he crazy? I mean, get up at 2 a.m., go into a hospital, sneak by the nurses, get under a bed, Start talking to a man, you could, you could, it would raise questions. You know, is, it, is he on the right medication or whatever else? No, Art simply believes Jesus is Lord and that every person needs to know that. And he was willing to look as foolish as he needed to look in order that this one man would not perish. And God used him. He wants to use you. You can't have what he offers till you recognize who he is. You want all that Jesus can offer you? He wants to give it to you, but you have to recognize who he is. And that is Lord of all.
Father in heaven, we thank you today. We, we bow in your presence. We know we'll be in the presence of the Lord Jesus this morning in this place. And if we could see him in his glory, we would be overcome. None of us would be standing. None of us could even bear to open an eyelid were we to see you seated upon your throne. But thank you that in your grace, you veil enough of who you are that we can gaze upon your face. We can gaze upon your cross. We can, we can look to the gospel and we see there not only our Lord, but our friend, our savior, our rescuer, indeed our life. And so today we confess Jesus is Lord. And I pray for anyone here uncertain of that statement, that they would make that confession of faith, ask the forgiveness of their sins, look to the cross and the shed blood for the payment, and receive the gift of eternal life. Lord, in every heart where that needs to take place this morning, let it happen right now. In Jesus' name.